Welcome to this podcast from Sheridan's. This podcast is a panel session chaired by Tahir Bashir from our Sheridan's Games Masterclass held in January 2020. This panel focuses on games and other media. Panelists included the really talented and interesting Casper Lee, Seb Carmichael Brown, Ben Jeffries, and Harry Hugo. Please enjoy. Uh, I'm Tahir Bashir. Um, I don't work in the games industry directly, but I, I'd say that I tangentially work in the games industry in that its interaction with other areas such as music, fashion, social media is uh, those areas that I kind of get involved in and see how that helps in terms of building up um, speed in, a, in, in the games market. Um, I feel very privileged today. I feel like we've got the uh, the, the rat pack of <laughs> social media and uh, supermarketing when it comes to looking at how uh, other media can work with games. Um, so in, in Harry, Seb, Casper and Ben, uh, we've got guys here who um, perhaps are not looking at games from the sake of inside out, but from outside in. Um, so maybe to start off with, uh, if each of you introduce yourselves, what do you do, and you know any uh, involvement with games? So Harry, maybe you first. Um, hello, uh, I'm Harry. I'm 25. I'm the co-founder of the Go Agency. We're 120 people worldwide: um, London, Singapore, New York. We're an influencer marketing agency, come social media agency. Um, and in the gaming space, in particular, we've worked with Epic on Fortnite. We've worked with Riot Games on League of Legends. Uh, Frontier Games on Planet Zoo, um, and many, many more, as well as all the traditional uh, FMCG brands and uh, travel lifestyle brands, sport brands. So yeah, we work across the, across the board. Seb Carmichael Brown from Hashtag United. Uh, also work with my brother, Spencer FC or Spencer Owen. On Hashtag United, we are a football team founded on YouTube, uh, also a professional esports organization. We make content about football, all things really for a modern day football fan. So if that's real football content, uh, sort of off the pitch entertainment style content, but also uh, gaming content with the individuals in the football team playing on a variety of games, but also having our four professionals who travel all around the world playing FIFA 20. Uh, and then Spencer makes a lot of content about games himself, a variety as well, uh, whether that's um, on Twitch or YouTube or other platforms. And I also have my own uh, YouTube channel where I make content about golf. And it's fantastic. Thanks, mate. Terrible swing, though. Terrible golf swing. I warned you what I'd say if you said that, <laughs> didn't I? Um, I'm Casper. Uh, I'm a client of Tahir's. Um, so he said he'd give me a free hour of legal work. <laughs> before I came Just here. trying to get a deal. Okay. <laughs> it's, sure, it's tough. It's tough out there. Um, I've been making YouTube videos since 2010 from my bedroom in South Africa. I've tried all sorts of things. I was actually inspired to start making YouTube videos because I was trying to find uh, Counter-Strike hacks back in the day. Uh, banana hacks which is probably not a good thing to say in front of gaming industry. Uh, but I was very young and naive. Uh, and then went on to build a YouTube channel, and now I have uh, kind of 7 million subscribers on YouTube and uh, do a bunch of other things as well. So, yeah. Hi, guys. My name is Ben Jeffries. I'm CEO and co-founder of Influencer.com. Um, we're a global strategy and insights influencer marketing company, uh, which is underpinned by our own technology. We're based um, across three cities, New York, London, and Kiev. Um, and we've been really focused on kind of more the cross-collaboration um, partnerships within the gaming industry where we've done cl collabs with the likes of Domino's and Call of Duty, um, Shelter and Twitch. Um, so we've seen it from a different angle perhaps to a lot of the 
Um, other players have been great. Thank you. Um, so kind of to kick this off, let's start off with quite a generic question uh, open to any one of you, which is that the whole purpose of this panel is what's the role of other media in games? Um, and have you seen that change over the years? I think um, what's really interesting is how we're seeing culture develop and culture developing around major um, things in the, the pop culture industry, which is 2020. That's music, that's sport, and gaming has become a real pillar of that. Um, we're seeing how that crosses into culture. We're seeing how the Fortnite dances become real things in the playground. We're seeing um, all sorts of different... Uh, I mean, FIFA is a great example of that as well, how that becomes a part of just everyday conversations, um, how they actually how people talk about footballers in the real world when they talk about FIFA, football managers the same. Um, so yeah, how the how it crosses over into culture is, I think, really, really interesting. Does that come from the game crossing over outside into mainstream culture or is it mainstream culture coming into games? I think social media is like the pub used to be 30 years ago and people used to have the conversations in the pub because that's where you used to have the conversations. And now social media is that middleman where that pub, where it is... Um, being able to facilitate those conversations. You can facilitate it instantly about anything. And uh, it's just that middleman that allows it to, that communication to flow all the way through from the end point, which is gaming, and then right the way through to another part of culture, which is music or dance or um, sport. And they cross it all over. I think that community aspect is really, really important. I mean, um, I was just reading a couple of stats earlier and 55% of people play games to actually connect with their friends. Um, so I think that's really what that actually creates is, as Harry was saying, the culture aspect. Um, and that obviously builds these communities where um, that blossoms the actual friendships um, as such. Yeah, I think that we're seeing huge breakout games that are going incredibly broad. Um, Fortnite is a great example of that. And then we're also seeing how communities are being leveraged across really, really niche games as well. And social media is a, quite, a great way that they can get to those niche audiences at scale like they've never been able to do before because you can actually identify who is going to be interested in the game about fishing because there's actually fishing communities on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Um, golf is a great example of that as well. Like it's a niche community. It's very difficult to get to that target market. But now there are huge YouTubers that are creating golf content all the time. So if there's a golf release, there's something and a community that we know have an interest in that already. And that, you know, spans the culture. I think one thing from our perspective is that with our real life football team, hashtag United, we did it in a reverse way, um, very aligned in that we took things from the gaming world and applied it to real football. And we built a number of properties and content around that. So fundamentally with a campaign we called the Wembley Cup, which was two sets of creators or YouTubers playing together at a game at Wembley Stadium, creating content around those teams being created. Um, and that evolved. That was like the most embarrassing moment of my life. Oh, really? Uh, I had to play a defender in front of Peter Schmeichel. <laughs> and he was, he was just so mean. I, but, uh, I remember very fortunately, one of, one of the games, uh, we were awarded a penalty and I was given the honour of taking it in front of 34,000 people and Peter Schmeichel was in goal. Yeah. And just before I put the ball in the spot, he was substituted off, re re <laughs> replaced by Benny Central, which was... Uh, no, I think that was that game. That was that game you were playing as well, yeah. you got so, angry at me and walked off. That, that, well, thank you for that. That really gave me one of my favourite moments. I steal my pin tweet. Um, yeah, but so what we then did is we created a football team to play week in, week out using the world of gaming to frame it in real life. So we created what was the launch vehicle for the club, five divisions that mirrored what happened in FIFA 20. So hashtag United enter in division five and effectively it's level five. 
and you have 10 games to win 12 points. And then you go up to level four and you've got to get 15 points in 10 games. And all the way, if you win things, you'd unlock rewards and you'd have penalties if you didn't, just like what would happen in a, in a computer game, whether it's FIFA or any other. So we actually gamified football and used that as the launch vehicle for what Hashtag has now become um, to draw in the interest of people to watch entertaining content if performed properly on a platform like YouTube, but equally wrap it up in the cultural um, excitement around football and gaming as a, as a combo. Is that something that you think can be bigger? As in, do you think that gamification of a sport can, like, you know, what you do yeah. with Hashtag United, can that apply to other teams? Can I think so. You see what teams? Formula E are doing now. Formula E are looking, they're almost gamifying the sport in a certain way. I think it's not necessarily why are they gamifying it. They've just acknowledged that where um, there, are, there are touch points now in culture, what makes people excited? We've got potentially lower um, attention spans now. How do you keep things exciting, moving more fast-paced? So in Formula E, they have various things now where there's like a, a fan boost. You can vote and a driver will physically get a speed up. You, they can hit certain parts of the track and their car will become faster for a lap. These are sort of gamified things you might find in Super Mario Kart. You know? So it is whether they're looking at the gaming world to replicate it on that regard or whether they're just the gaming world has changed culture so significantly that everything else now can take an element of that to, for its own benefit. I think the fact that we're even talking about gaming as a specific sector, you know, the amount of times that we see as a brief from a brand where they're going, okay, yeah, we want to we want to target gamers, and they normally alongside gaming and tech, very, very uh, synonymous with each other when it comes to branded uh, integrations, but actually that's become a sector in itself. Um, and that's really, really interesting and in how something that's broken out in the last two, three years. Um, I mean, there's a lot of developers, I think, in the crowd here um, and people making games and thinking about the structure of those games. Do you, do you think, I mean, Seb, you talk about the kind of the boosts in Formula E, et cetera. Do you think um, it's something that developers could look at early stage when they're structuring their games to think about how, how does this, how can this become a cultural moment or how can this be transformed into another area of real life? Um, which then leads back people back into the game. Yeah, I mean, it's a real simple way of doing it. You can kind of use creators um, and their IP and who they are and put them in the game. So some YouTubers themselves have even, you know, created their own um, iPhone games, like YouTuber boxing. I remember how well that There's did. There's box tuber thing around. Exactly, it was around boxing and YouTube, and they just decided to do it. But maybe if you're thinking quite long-term or you already have a game that you could include uh, something that a creator's done or who a creator is within your game. I think on TikTok, what they did was they had a bunch of fans submit dances on TikTok and it became like a big hashtag. And then they were going to choose uh, one of the best uh, dancers to put within the, uh, within the game. Um, so there's some really exciting ways to do it. Yeah, I think one of the things we found our community have gone nuts for is when um, we've been integrated into the games, you know, so we have a close affinity with games like FIFA and also one of our main club partners, Football Manager. And when Football Manager brought out a release of the game that went all the way down to the level that our club now plays at, which is the Essex Senior League or the ninth tier of English football, you know, the game of FM stops way, way above that. But they brought out a free-to-play edition that had all of our players in. They came and scouted us, gave us all of our stats. FIFA put our kit in the game and you find the community just go nuts and I think they are opportunities for publishers to really show their audiences themselves that they understand the world they're operating in, they understand what's really exciting to them. And sometimes it can be pretty low-hanging fruit. You're not talking about getting a license off Cristiano Ronaldo or Real Madrid, which could be phenomenally expensive and troublesome. You'd often find, um, because of the, the, um, the still relatively, um, not immature, but um, not quite matured, 
um, community and, and sector of influencers, if you like, are only too happy to have that sort of thing happen. You know, they know that that will be a bit of a point scoring exercise for them with their own communities, give them a little bit of mainstream validation. So you'll often find that people will be quite happy to do that as opposed to them when a brand says, I want you to push my product or drive downloads to this, which will be more of a maybe a transactional sale. Yeah. I'd pay you to put me in your game. Yeah, there you go. That's interesting. I mean, what's really interesting seeing it from a commercial sense as well. So the actual influence marketing campaign that one campaign of the year at Can Lion was actually when they put, um, it was Wendy's actually putting that character into Fortnite. Um, so it's actually just showing, I guess, to the publishers that obviously there is a lot of commercial um, potential there as well. Um, so obviously you can put the creators in and that can actually obviously help boost in their communities, but you can also push that idea out to brands, um, which can actually obviously bring in more revenue. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is, uh, you know, as a commercial lawyer, is extending the IP of the game. If you're effectively creating a game which has a format outside of that, you know, a Fortnite, which then becomes real-life shooting up under the Fortnite banner, or an event or a support around that, you're extending the life of that game and you're creating more value in that game. Yeah. Ways. Yeah, uh, Mr. Beast recently, I don't know if you guys know a guy called Mr. Beast... He planted a million trees or something like that recently, uh, which is crazy. Or oh, 10 million trees. 20 million. 20 million, 20 million trees. So that's, my, that's the UK in me. Yeah, 20 million. People like Elon Musk and everyone contributed. But recently a game was coming out. I can't remember the exact name of the game, but it was a, a game that involved shooting. And um, so he decided to bring 100 YouTubers from around the world. And they did a big uh, Aerosoft tournament. And we were all acting like characters within the game. So that's just a really fun way of... You know, he's more of a lifestyle channel than a gaming channel, but he's able to promote a game really well through lifestyle kind of content. And I think you've seen the breakout of Ninja, who's obviously become the face of gaming in the last couple of years, and now his crossover into mainstream culture. Um, you know, he's doing photo shoots with David Beckham. He's got an Adidas deal. Like, you know, that is a huge, huge step for gaming to, to break through and become mainstream news. I think just what, you know, what Casper was saying there is that whole element of gamifying, essentially. Um, obviously, we, we touched on it earlier, but as you know, Harry was saying, you know, it's, it's not just the tech briefs. Almost every brief we have from a client, they they want to encourage some element of gamifying because it is building those communities. Um, so that's something which is we're really, really seeing developing. Um, are you guys working with? Um, I mean, obviously, we talk about Fortnite and Minecraft and Candy Crush. These are all mainstream games. Are you guys working with indie developers at all? Um, is that something that's interesting mm. to you guys? I think it is more difficult for indie developers to afford the more kind of macro creators that they would want within their games. I do think a way of doing that is like partnering up on sales within, you know, their character if they can bring them in. So you could start doing it as more of like they have skin in the game. Um, so that's something I would probably be more likely to do than just work with an indie game without a big budget. Uh, but then there's also micro creators with micro communities, and that's something you have access to as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we look at it. I mean, it, it, it has to come down commercially for us, whether or not it works. But, um, you know, we, we want to do cool things that we get remembered for. Um, we've grown an agency to the point where we can, you know, we're able to choose the clients we work with now rather than necessarily just throw everything um, towards the briefs that come towards us. So, you know, building legacy and building um, long-term disruptive campaigns that we really, really like and we uh, we get recognized for and we're proud of, you know, that's really, really exciting for us. So, yeah, I mean, anything that, that comes to us, we evaluate based on those sort of materials as well as just the commercial ones. And 
um, you know, some coming back to the mainstream, it's games like Minecraft, Candy Crush, Fortnite, all of these games have gone viral. Is there a secret source as to why that's happened? Or is there, is there like, are there any tips for the audience as to what you could do to make that? I think it's you know, something that will get shouted on your uh, football pitch every single week, which is um, the, the thing that I got shouted at uh, when I was playing football when I was like 10, which is uh, keep it simple, stupid. Um, like Fortnite, it's a, just a simple survival game. My, uh, Candy Crush, very, very basic game, just swiping very simply. Um, Minecraft, build what you want, no rules. All these games that are coming out and breaking through, they're super simple, simple functionality in terms of a singular functionality. Um, and they're free. Minecraft launched when it was free, and then it you know, scaled up, and now you pay for it. Fortnite launched, it was free. Um, Candy Crush, free. Like, all of them start free, build up. Free, oh, it's a freemium model, and it works, but it all comes down to that really, really simple one-use functionality. And Fortnite had one map and one game mode, and you've got more complicated games coming out that have got 30 maps and 30 game modes, and people get lost in that community, where it's very, very easy for people to... Um, feel as part of a community when they're only talking about one singular thing and they can rank themselves against each other based on one singular element. And that's what creates the communities. Exactly. That, oh, common it make, cause, you, that common You always need someone that's the best. Casper's got 7 million subscribers. You know, it's very easy for someone else who's on YouTube to rank themselves against that because it's one goal. The, the, the YouTube goal is to gain subscribers and gain viewership. The Fortnite goal is to survive and win. It's very, very simple. It's all on the same map. People know all the, all the hideouts. Like, it is what it is. Um, and it makes it very, very easy to drive competitive tension, which is what gaming really, multiplayer gaming really survives on. I think also just on the freemium um, note there as well, it's also the cross-platform element. So both those two, um, I guess, parts of this actually make it accessible to everyone. So it's not something which can only be for you know a select group of friends. It can be readily, readily available for anyone. So you, know, you can play against people. Um, who might not have the same devices and again helps to create those communities I think that's the key message is creating those communities yeah I mean there's a feeling that the online gaming community is different from other online communities otherwise why do you have Casper this question for you why, why do you have YouTubers who have gaming channels and mainstream channels what's what why, why segregate that those communities Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess uh, a lot of the gaming YouTubers have also turned into lifestyle YouTubers. That's what's what's quite interesting about that trend, whereas it's hard for a lifestyle YouTuber to become a gaming YouTuber. Some of them set up other channels. Uh, but yeah, what I what I do envy, though, about being a creator, and if anyone wants to become a gaming creator, I think it's amazing because you're able to continuously reinvent your fan base based on the next big game. And so that's why you're seeing such longevity uh, within these gaming creators. Uh, and I, I, again, I'm calling them gaming creators, I suppose, because that's, that's kind of... YouTube also created a, a platform called YouTube Gaming, and it kind of became its own little section. And you, they also get different AdSense, and because it's really good, I hear, because you know, they're selling gaming, a product that you know, it's quite easy to know your audience is after a game, therefore the, ad, the pre-roll ad can sell to them. Um, so yeah, no. I think, I, I don't I think know also why people want to... Everyone wants to be something they're not. And um, if you're a lifestyle YouTuber and you're seeing gaming YouTubers create content all the time, then you get a bit jealous of that. You know that they're, they're getting loads of views or they're playing the game. And, and also, you know, there's, there's time. It's, it's an easier video to create. It's kind of what you're saying, right? It's a, it, you record your screen. You, it's a reaction video. It's an easier video to come up with than a comedy skit or something like that. You have to script and think about it. It's, it's live. It's not 
easy to become a starlet doing that, but it isn't easier. Uh, exactly. Peaceful. And I think also you become known for a type of content you're creating. And if I'm creating videos where I'm out and about, and then one day I'm just uh, playing a game and you can see me in the top right-hand corner, they wouldn't, they'll, they'll be like, this is a bit different to what I'm used to. Whereas if it was vice versa, that could also be strange. But there are also ways for lifestyle YouTubers, or as I'm calling them, uh, to, to get involved in, in gaming. Like, for example... Uh, there was the FIFA World Cup I got invited to, which was just a bunch of people, rappers, YouTubers, actors, singers, who just came together to play a game. And so I like that when we get invited into those things, because I think it's important not to just go after gaming YouTubers with your games, because there's such a bigger audience uh, than just gaming fanatics. I think Harry briefly touched on one point, which is the live element, um, which is obviously the live helps to create that closer relationship, actually, with their audience. Um, and obviously from that, obviously... Um, they have more of an insight into actually who the, the person is. It's a more relatable personality. Um, and that obviously helps in turn grow their own community because people see them more. Yeah, live, live is a really great way to grow your community. So hashtag United Live versus pre-recorded. What's your strategy? Um, so our strategy on that is we do a lot of streaming when we're playing games, whether it's FIFA or otherwise. Spencer streams a lot of Football Manager as well um, recently on Twitch. Um, with regards to the football team... We create an entertainment show more than we're trying to show 90 minutes of football. Uh, there's a couple of there's a practical reason for that is that you know we don't have the budgets to be able to facilitate that sort of thing, not the amount of games we play. But even if we could, we maybe still wouldn't because we have to remember we're we're playing at quite a low level of football. No one's watching it to like the re same reason they would watch um, an elite Premier League or international fixture. Um, there's even some question marks around the viewership of people watching that for 90 minutes, let alone people playing at, at our level. So we try to create the best moments of that and then put that either side with personality-led content about the guys behind the team. But we do live when we can. So we might do live commentary. So Spencer and I will be this Saturday for our game against Takeley. We'll be in the little commentary booth at our stadium and we'll have a camera aimed at us and that'll be live streamed for our audio and there'll be a camera to it, but it won't be showing the footage. And that'll be really for our diehard fans that really want to know everything as it's happening. And it also allows us to not put out play-by-plays on our social media to keep the result a little bit secret for those who would rather sit and watch it as live um, in the normal weekly roundup show, if you like. So we like, live's great like when you can do it, but you, you've got to understand what your content uh, or your content strand and your strategy is and use live where it applies and not just for the, for the sake of it. What platforms are you, are you, are you on then? So, so primarily with YouTube um, is our biggest asset across everything. That's the same for Spencer and Hashtag. And we have our own separate esports channel now, which is growing really well. Um, then Twitch, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, do a little bit on Facebook. And recently we've, we've got involved in the whole TikTok revolution as well, which has been uh, very interesting. Since we had that conversation? It may have, may have played a part, yeah. There's always some gems there. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's quite interesting about TikTok because I was going to pick up on that, which is, I mean, half of the things that we're talking about is what, what other media um, uh, can, can help enhance uh, a game. And moving forwards now, you know, you're seeing things like, you know, I think, Casper, you talked about it with YouTube and Stadia and uh, they're teaming up with uh, here BT. Um, are we going to move into platforms that are essentially, um, you know, you can get Spotify um with a with your virgin uh, membership do, do do you think i don't know if you can by the way <laughs> sounds like <laughs> but, a great idea <laughs> um but do you think that's where other media moving in the future might be getting more involved with games or do you have any ideas on where we're going 
I, I think I don't. I think people always think, "What's the next big platform?" I think YouTube and and Facebook and Twitch are going to be the big ones still going forward for gaming. Um, obviously, uh, you have Microsoft's Microsoft with their platform. What's the mixer? mixer? Yes, sorry, thank you. Um, but then, in terms of uh, the next other platforms that are a little bit different, I think there's one called Byte B Y T E, which is going to be massive. It's the relaunch of Vine. Uh, so if you want to get involved in a platform just as it's about to launch, go and look at that. Uh, and then obviously TikTok is, is huge. It's interesting, Mixer's strategy, I mean, their kind of acquisition of Ninja shows the power of what that creator brings in order to bring other people onto that platform. Um, and I think that kind of move is great because it creates a bit of disruption in the marketplace. Mm. And, you know, the likes of YouTube are feeling a bit unsettled. Uh, yeah. Twitch are feeling Twitch are doing brilliantly, so that's quite an interesting thing. Um, I mean, YouTube obviously just bought the rights um, to the Call of Duty um, World Cup, if I'm correct in saying that as well. So I think they're trying to get back more um, into, the, into the actual gaming f focus. I think Twitch has obviously been doing such a tremendous job of that over the last year. I think we're going to see all the creators get deals uh, on a different platform to where they currently are. Um, you know, I know a lot of YouTubers who've in the last six months got a lot of big deals on Twitch and I know a lot of Twitch users who've just got a lot of big deals on Mixer um, and then uh, YouTube and Twitch going the other way as well. You know, it's it's going to happen and over the last well, 12 months ago there was a lot of YouTubers um, and Twitch stars that got big deals with Facebook. So it, people are just on that acquisition like you said and uh, that's what the way they see it, see it happening rather than necessarily building their own stars. But it doesn't always work because remember Vessel. That, yeah, you don't. Vessel very well. Yeah. They That's one of the first money. people who tried to do it. And uh, so it is, It is. I think, I don't know how well Mix is doing as I couldn't even remember the name earlier, but uh, obviously they, they've managed to get a massive star like Ninja. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, coming back to, I'm trying to keep on coming back to the topic. So um, other media, look at something like The Witcher, right? It starts off uh, as a, as a book, I think it started off, um, becomes a classic video game. Now it's all over Netflix and, and killing it. Um, that to me comes back to that whole kind of concept of format. It's essentially a format mm. which has been um, developed in different ways. Um, mm. Do you guys have any views on that? I, I mean, I know that for, from a social media perspective, actually there's a big play there in terms of how to expand that, but any views? One thing I, that may, you made me think of there, which unfortunately isn't a direct answer to your question, but is how you can see other media coming into the games. So how obviously Fortnite now have done things like live concerts in the game and you've seen people like Coca-Cola. Louis do, Vuitton. Yeah, do advertisements in-game, having unlockable items or even general um, time-stamp things that are happening in-game. And I think as you see the gaming industry become even more replica of, of real life, you could almost do have some fun and look at like an alternate reality in the future. There was a film uh, years ago called Surrogate where basically all we are is sitting in a wheelchair dialed into our AI and that we're just running around this um, fictitious world that's all been played through in our brains. Is there a world where, you know, people are spending so much more time? If we see what the younger generation are doing now and the um, disposable amount of time they have to attend to media, whether that's consuming media or playing games, if that translates through and continues to grow at any sort of rate with the new younger generations, but then the younger generations now taking that with them into later life, then you're going to see an entire populace of certain types of the world, certain parts of the world, playing games so much where you're going to have to see people who are spending money, whether it's TV, whether it's ad 
uh, served on like uh, external display advertising or whatever it is, if those eyeballs are being retained in game, you're going to have to find a whole new world of serving those campaigns and marketing messages, which you'll think will be in game. So are you thinking of, right, when I drive down the road in GTA, is there based on my geography and my viewing habits, different billboards in the game of GTA? Because I'm now in 2030 playing GTA in an AR simulator with, when I'm sitting there playing it in such a real world, you know, ready player one, we're running on an actual treadmill. Are there, is it the opposite? Is it we're going to see media having to integrate into the games market because that's just where attention is? I think going back to as well, Harry's point earlier on culture, I think the reason why um, obviously game, you know, games are going elsewhere, you know, to expand their actual reach and actually build on those communities. So, you know, Angry Birds is another example. We obviously launched Angry Birds, the film, and I think it just helps build that culture where the game's always at the forefront of people's mind. Um, because obviously, you know, people can't spend their whole day just playing games. Um, so if there's a way which that gaming... Oh, they can. Their market, well, they, they could. <laughs> they could, but they wouldn't, you know, be able yeah, to do other no. things. But, you know, my point is that it's about... Um, being able to keep that brand recognition going on. Uh, I mean, if people have got any questions, we can use this as an opportunity to open it up to the audience. Otherwise, I can ask another question. Anybody have any questions? Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of girls coming into the the streaming world. Um, a, a lot on Twitch and a lot on YouTube. Um, I mean, the ones that I know of are um, in either relationships with gamers, uh, male gamers, or uh, are coming through because they're in that sort of community anyway. But those are the ones I know of. Uh, I know there's a huge amount of female streamers on Twitch. Um, but yeah, it's just not a community I'm necessarily in, which kind of shows you the value of if you're in a, hello. Um, if you're in a If you're in a community, then you can get influenced by them. But if you're not necessarily in that community, then, then you can't because you wouldn't know who they are. It's, uh, I think it's a great question. Anybody else got any views on that? Um, I, I think that you find gaming, like everything else, is has no. There's no real barrier to entry. I feel that like there may be with other sports. If you look at gaming as a sport, if you were to look at it or as a pastime, there are a lot where there are a lot of barriers for women and girls to get into it. I don't believe that's necessarily as strong in gaming. I think there's no reason why it can't be. Uh, and I think Harry said there's a huge amount of female um, streamers that do make content around gaming. I think at the competitive level, that doesn't seem to have translated yet for whatever reason. I think, I guess, purely on a per capita reason, the amount of people are playing versus the amount of people that can reach the highest level, there's not enough girls playing it. Uh, that could change. Hopefully that will change. Um, I, think, I think outside of that, you know, you look at places where there's content like YouTube, whatever, there's, there's an equal measure of male and female in that regard. We're launching a women's football team this year, but we hope to anyway, so that's uh, one step we're, we're looking to make in, in that area. A women's hashtag United team. That's the plan, yeah. Breaking news here. First heard of the Sheridan's Masterclass. Um, <laughs> any other questions from anyone in the audience? Um, back. So, so this is about the Child Online Privacy Act. I sent, yeah, I have a PDF on this if anyone needs it. Um, uh, and this is about uh, YouTube got fined um, seventy odd million dollars for essentially um, collecting data on kids who were watching YouTube and then reserving ads to them um, based on that data. 
Um, and uh, that slap on the wrist for YouTube um, then meant that they passed on, and Casper should be aware of this, passed on that um, burden to creators and content uh, creators on, on, on the platform, which essentially means that if your content is directed at kids, then um, uh, you have to designate that on YouTube, and then no ads are served on that bit of content. I think it's a very important distinction to be made about the difference between um, younger generations watching YouTube content and then content aimed directly at children because there's a massive difference. So you'll find content that's literally with people dressed up in Disney outfits or playing with toys that is purposely there to uh, keep my young two-year-old daughter entertained. She does a fantastic job of it as my little uh, red button emergency if she's having a breakdown. That's very different to content being made by any creator that happens to also be um, interesting for children so that for us personally we don't make um, content aimed for that under 13 bracket um, we know there are people that are younger that watch it but it's not aimed at them in any way and I think that's the important distinction you have to make when you make that declaration to YouTube is what's your intention and it's not just someone saying it it has to be able to be stand up to inspection and to um, audit um, so really I think that's for people who are specifically making content purely to only appeal to children not to people that aren't children. I mean, obviously the repercussions are for content creators that if there's no ads served on that, on that bit of content, then there's no money made from it. And, and that's what... I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd find there'd be people that would put up a video of someone playing with a toy, children playing with a toy, that get 100 million views, that are getting a normal CPM ad revenue served on it. And the vast majority of those 100 million views is, you know, possibly the same child watching that video 100 times. Um, your parenting well, skills yeah. being a real question not, here. Not mine. I don't think my wife watches. will watch this, thankfully. Um, but no, I mean, for us, it's like it's an emergency user, but a lot of people use it maybe more than they should. Um, but therefore, is that good spending of ad money? Probably not, no, because it's just the child plugging around a screen. They have the YouTube Kids app, which is, again, completely different. But there's a lot of that really, I don't know the numbers, but that would have significantly hurt some very big YouTube channels who've had enormous maybe seven, eight, nine-figure revenues of ads um, because they no longer can do that. But, you know, they, whether they shouldn't do it in the first place is another thing. I think it's also interesting to see how kids sign up to YouTube. Lots of them sign up with an adult's um, date of birth or through an adult's account, parent's account. So it's very difficult to track as to actually who is watching the content. And we see a lot of creators where we'd expect them to have uh, a slightly older age demographic, uh, sorry, younger age demographic, sorry, and they come in or they skew much older. Um, and sometimes we can look at it like that. And some of the examples you're you know, talking about, the, the kids who literally play with toys, you know, some of them skew quite old. And we're like, well, there's no way that, you know, loads of people between the age of 45 and 55 watching it, but are they the parents um, who uh, account it's running through? So that's also something to bear in mind. So how you can actually track who is the eyeball, who are the eyeballs that are watching it? versus the account. Yeah, I mean, I think the good news to take from this is that um, YouTube are investing quite significant sums of money into YouTube kids, which essentially means that that's production, con that's production money, production budget, because that content can't be commercialized through ads. So uh, from a gaming world perspective, it's, is there content that we should be getting behind for YouTube kids, I guess, is, is maybe the takeaway from that. Um, any other questions? Yeah. Copyright strikes and redirection by the foundation back to them. Do you think that that might even 
issues at some time, but actually after that, the world could change. The relationship we have was quite reasonable. I guess that's up to you. Um, it's I've, it's usually the gamer or the I'm sorry the game or the the, the music musician or probably their label who are striking. I think YouTubers always want to be able to use as much content from different sources as possible. So um, I think I think the gaming community though or the game makers see the power in having gamers use their content and it's worth more for them than trying to take the AdSense away. I think if creators all of a sudden had that taken away, they'd just use a different game that didn't, and then that can be quite a powerful shift depending on the size of their of their of their audience effectively but it would be interesting to see if there was a blanket rule made but you're never going to get i don't think in consensus across all publishers to to all follow suit i wouldn't think that is the transition that music did though right they used to copyright strike to the point where that video got taken down and now they copyright strike and divert the revenue and you know i think that 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 change has got to happen but yeah the music was never kind of the main reason why people were watching the videos and that's why creators could be like no, i don't need that music anyway so i think but with gaming if you're a gaming channel you're just gonna have to find another game and i think that will hurt the gaming creators sorry the, the game developers more than the gaming creators yeah i mean historically it's been a symbiotic relationship hasn't it you know the games the 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 gaming influencers are promoting the game essentially by playing it and the games companies could do copyright strikes but they don't because ultimately it's promoting the game. Where you see that change is, I mean, there was that time when PewDiePie got into trouble and there was this whole kind of debate as to whether um, the game that he was promoting, the gaming company wanted to actually take down the content that was in his videos because now all of a sudden it's not symbiotic. So I guess that's the value exchange. Do you take the money, the AdSense, or is it worth more that game getting promoted and more games getting sold or streamed? Um, Last question. You spoke I think through experiences, I think that's the, the key part with the offline games. I think, um, you know, I think, you know, with the online games, obviously it does build up those communities where, um, you know, people are obviously connecting and obviously, um, you know, connecting with other gamers, connecting with other streamers. But I think with through experiences where people are perhaps all in the actual same venue um, and actually playing those offline games together, then that's still creating a community, but not necessarily digitally. I think that's one way which it can, would certainly develop. I'd like to, um, well, thank you very much. I'd like to say thank you to Harry, Seb, Casper and Ben. Um, I think that was very illuminating. Thank you very much for your time. and. Uh, You've been listening to a podcast from Sheridan's. Thanks for listening. <laughs>